All right, thank you, Rachel. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I've got a question for you as we begin and think about these extraordinary words from Isaiah. We're continuing this series. What is the worst meal you've ever had? What's the worst meal you've ever had? Spam and baked beans. Something soup made by the person sitting next to you. That's a bit awkward. Anything else? Why not turn to your neighbor around you? Worst meal you've ever had. There's a few grimaces on people's faces. The worst meal I ever had was when I was, I think, seven, and my mother said, hey, lunch is ready. So my sisters and I ran downstairs, and we were confronted with this bowl of green soup that looked like sick. And um, I said to my mom, what's this? She said, it's bone soup. And I thought, gosh, that looks disgusting. And I tasted in it, and it was absolutely disgusting. It was absolutely, and it was one of those things where you have, you know, and you start gagging, and you think, oh my gosh, this is not going to go well. So uh, that's my worst um, meal, and I tell you that because these verses have a sense of food about them, and I want to just think about uh, food as we begin tonight. This is a prophecy of Isaiah to the people in Babylon, they're in exile. That means they've dragged, been dragged away from home. They're living in a far-off land, and Isaiah prophesies these things. And I want to suggest tonight, these verses, actually, as I read them, you may have read them many, many times. You may have just read them a couple of times or not at all, but I think they're a good reminder of who God is and what he wants to do. And uh, one of the challenges for the church I read the other day is that we tend to have amnesia, is what this guy was saying, spiritual amnesia. We forget who God is and what he's calling us to do. These uh, verses from Isaiah are so great because they basically remind us of some really basic things. The first is that God is for us. God is for us. God is for you. God is for me. Verses 1 to 3. Come! All you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So the people write, they've been living in Babylon. Babylon was a commercial center. These, these words actually are strangely words of the marketplace. They are very uh, of the moment when they're written words, and uh, they, they speak of stalls, of traders, and it's a bit like when you walk down Guildford High Street, you know, cauliflower, cauliflower, two for one, two for one, whatever it is. And these starts, come, come on, come, come on, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money. Come on, come on, come buy and eat. Don't be shy, ladies and gentlemen. This is the sense of these verses. 
And uh, they're extraordinary, these words, because I don't know whether you found yourself in a really difficult place like the people in exile, but basically they'd be asking all sorts of questions. Was God for them? Had he forgotten them? Would he restore their fortunes? Or were they stuck in Babylon, in a foreign and strange land, in exile, for the rest of their lives? Well, it's clear that God hasn't forgotten them. Isaiah prophesies that God is going to bring them back. And uh, there's this invitation, isn't there? This is invitation within these verses. And uh, who's invited? Those who are thirsty. Come, come on, all you who are thirsty. The primary, uh, this primarily f- refers to those who are spiritually hungry, uh, which, of course, the exiles were. And you'll see that they're called to come to the waters. Uh, that basically uh, is... Uh, a word for spiritual refreshment. Come and be refreshed. Come and you exiles, come and be refreshed. Uh, those who have no money are also invited. Come on, come buy and eat. Come buy wine or milk without money and without cost. And actually, in really hard times, uh, in these consequences, in these, in the context, uh, even the people of God had to purchase water. Uh, it was so so dire. So uh, this is a this is an extraordinary sort of. Uh, uh, image of people who are thirsty, people who have no money, just being invited. And um, basically, these uh, verses affirm to the exiles, you know, God is for them, he's going to call them back, and he's going to meet their needs, every human need, spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst, they're going to be nourished, all these sorts of things. So, these are extraordinary. If you're in exile and you're reading these words and you hear what uh, Isaiah is saying, uh, it's absolutely amazing uh, what he's up to. Wine and milk are symbols of abundance, enjoyment, nourishment. And so what they're reminded of, very simply, is that God isn't offering bone soup. God is not offering bone soup. And, you know, before I came to faith, I'm sure like many of you, kind of the image of God was that he was a God of bone soup. You've got to eat this stuff. It's not very nice. I'm going to make you sit at the table. You're not allowed to get down till it's done. It's kind of good for you. It's nice for you. And being a Christian, God is sort of stingy. He offers this stingy sort of food. And actually, the whole God thing is a slightly unpleasant experience. So Jesus picks up on these words, doesn't he? He speaks a lot about water. And, uh, you know, the classic, the Samaritan woman, what does he say to her? He says this in John 4. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. They're by the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus picks up on these words and basically he wants his people to experience abundance. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He continues uh, to want us actually to find joy. His invitation is to a great meal, for goodness sake, or a party. Have you thought how strange that is? Uh, how many people, before I came to faith, God's sort of inviting you to this amazing banquet. Excuse me? I thought he was just out to smite me. Uh, you know, God is uh, wanting you to come to a party. Yeah, right. Being a Christian is not about that at all. I mean, it's, it, you know, these are extraordinary things he's saying. So, um, Basically, uh, God's invitation has a wide scope. It encouraged the people in exile. God has continued to uh, be on the high street saying to everyone, come on, come on, come on, come on, come, come. If you're hungry, come on, come on. He wants us to come. He wants our friends to come, our family members to come. He actually wants everyone uh, to come.
What's important as well is that um, it's an odd imagery. How can you come and buy stuff when you've got no money? Uh, God's uh, goods actually are free because they've already been paid for. Uh, how, when did you last go into a shop and basically you know, just take the stuff without giving the people any money? Don't own up in public because we'll pray for you afterwards. But there aren't many shops like that, are there? But actually, this is the image of God having paid for the goods. And of course, he's done that uh, on the on the cross in Christ. The goods are not lame, there's nothing lame about forgiveness, restoration, eternal life, and they're not cheap because the cost was great. We looked at Isaiah 53, didn't we, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So what can we take from these opening verses? Basically, God is announcing his great feast, his great banquet, he's for us, he loves us, he has good things for us. Uh, following him is extraordinary. And, um, you know, there are many, many voices, aren't there, down the high street, uh, in the magazines we read, in the films we watch, uh, all the rest of it. There's all sorts of voices. There's the voice of hedonism. You know, just pleasure is what will do it for you. Pleasure will satisfy your thirst. Pleasure will satisfy your hunger. And lots of people have gone to Glastonbury this weekend. There's nothing wrong with Glastonbury, is there? But, you know, actually, if you've been a hedonist, a serious uh, hedonist. I used to be a serial hedonist. You'll know. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't actually get rid of the satisfaction. It doesn't satisfy you. There's the voice of materialism. You know what your bank balance is like. Will do it. It will. It will do your thirst. It will appease your hunger. You know, the bigger your house is, the the latest uh, year your car is, the holidays you go on. They'll do it for you. They'll do it for you. Actually, we know uh, it doesn't do it for us. There's the voice of atheism. Don't come and get it. It's a whole complete waste of time. You're just a bunch of molecules and chemicals. Meaning, uh, There's no uh, meaning in life. There's nothing. Just God's a complete joke. He's a fiction. And so we have all these voices. And actually, in this context, just in the day uh, of Jesus, we need to hear the voice of God and uh, exercise discernment as we live life. If we're to come to the banquet table, if we're to come and feast uh, with God. So how do you come then? How do you come? How do you distinguish these voices? Well, it's clear from these verses that you actually have to uh, listen. We have to uh, listen. Listen, listen to me. Give ear and come to me. Listen. This is the starting point in terms of listening uh, to God and all these voices that are so strong and powerful and so out there all day long. We hear these voices, voices, voices. Actually, we have to listen to the uh, voice of God. And, um, you know, there's this sense, isn't there, that, that uh, actually it's inconceivable in light of who God is and what he's offering that we would um, uh, not follow him. Verse 2, why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Yet we often do that, don't we? We often invest ourselves uh, give our lives to, to things ultimately that are not bad, they're good, there's nothing wrong with uh, music and festivals and having fun, there's nothing wrong with uh, being very, very successful professionally, you know, there's nothing wrong with these things, in fact, they're given, they're, they're given by God, lots of these things, but ultimately, only God himself can satisfy our human hearts. So, that's the first thing these uh, verses remind us of, that God is good. He's for us, not against us. And he's inviting us into a life uh, which is a bit like a party. So that's the first thing to remember. Secondly, um, I want to suggest from these verses, 
They remind us that God has not just given us the opportunity uh, of this extraordinary banquet, but he's actually also given us great things to do. God gives you and I great things to do. Verse 3b to 5, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David, see I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander to the peoples. Surely you'll summon nations you know not and nations do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he's endowed you with splendor. I want to unpack this a little bit, but they speak of just the opportunities and this extraordinary life to which God is calling us to. Did anyone watch President Obama's eulogy at uh, the funeral of Clementa Pinckney, the, um, the pastor and senator who was shot uh, last week? It's worth watching on YouTube. It's quite long, but it, it's, it's quite extraordinary. President Obama ends by singing an a cappella version of Amazing Grace, so it's, it's quite a sort of unusual piece. But basically, Clement was the pastor of the church, and uh, he was also a senator, and people used to say, look, why are you a pastor and a senator? And he said this, our calling is not just within the walls of our congregation, but must also extend to the life and community in which our community resides and beyond. And this is the sentiment of these verses. You know, when you come to the banquet, when you come to the feast, when you come to Jesus, uh, you're not invited into a holy huddle uh, that becomes increasingly weird and irrelevant. And life doesn't just diminish and your influence diminishes and, and you just sort of end up down here. I'm a Christian. Actually, you're sent out to live an extraordinary life in the power of the Spirit and... Um, with, with a task to really shape and um, form the very culture in which we live. I want to unpack this. So how does this work? God promised David, didn't he, that he established his kingdom forever. He promised David he would make an everlasting covenant with him. And you see this in these verses. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I've made a wit- him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. And what was promised to David was also promised to Israel. And uh, David was to Israel, uh, uh, what was true of David was true, sorry, of Israel. He was to be a witness to the peoples. Israel was called to be, go into the world and to the nations. And you get that sense of international uh, ministry or influence happening. You'll summon the nations you know not and nations you do not know will come to you. But David failed in his calling, we know that, and uh, also Israel did. They fell short of what God had wanted them to do, that's why they're in exile. And uh, having said that though, God never gives up on people. He didn't give up on David, on Israel, he doesn't give up on the people of God. And actually Jesus is the Messiah who Isaiah prophesied about, who was gonna come and restore all things. And actually kind of, ensure that the promise, the covenants to David, to Israel were going to succeed. And uh, he calls the church, that's us, to actually do what he called David and Israel to do. And uh, you know our great commission is go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very ends of the age. So that is another global uh, you, you, see the, you see the similarities between David, between Israel, between us, this call to go out into the world and to make disciples. And uh, it's a call to go to the ends of the earth, far beyond 
the, the, the relatively um, unknown and small world of the 6th century BC. And uh, he's gifted us for this purpose. He's endowed us uh, with his splendor, you'll see. So I want to just ask, I guess, how is your global ministry going? This is the Christian call, isn't it? How, how is your global uh, influence going? And I want to suggest, I guess, practically, that we need to think big in light of this. Uh, do you ever get bogged down in the details of life, MOT, washing, um, pick up the dry cleaning, whatever it is. We get bogged down, bogged down, bogged down. We have to pause and think big. This is what Isaiah would say. It's a good reminder uh, to remember who it is, who we are, what our task is, what we're called to do. And it's good to review that regularly. We need to think small as well and just do the next thing. We can think, gosh, that sounds a bit overwhelming. But we just need to do what God gives us in front of our faces. And, uh, you know, I bumped into a neighbor on the high street. I was uh, I was at the Armed Forces Day, which was amazing. If you, I'm sure many of you were there. And, um, you know, I just feel the next thing for me to do is to invite all our neighbors around for a barbecue. It's really simple. Uh, it's, it's doable. Uh, but what's, I, I noticed that they don't know another. Uh, some of them have lived there for years in our little bit. So we're going to get them all together. That's the next thing. Who knows what will happen? I don't know. We might just have a great meal. That might be it. But I think God will probably do more. So... God is good, he's for us, not against us, and he gives us the opportunity, if we want to, to live an extraordinary life. Thirdly and finally tonight, I just want to take from this passage this um, real calling, really, that, or reminder that now is the time to do this. Now is the time to do this, verse six and seven. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, he'll have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. You know, a few months ago I met a guy who uh, uh, is not a person of faith, uh, he's a soldier and um, he'd had a, he'd had a um, dream of Jesus in the middle of the night, no Christian background at all. And he, uh, a few months ago, we were seeing a little bit of him and he was um, wanting to go deeper into the, into the faith. And I bumped into him and he's sort of uh, wavering, not sure what to do. Uh, but these verses remind us to just take the opportunities that God gives us when, when we can to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call on him while he's near. And um, how do you do that? How do we do that? How do we come to God? Well, the first thing we need to do uh, if we're not a person of faith is actually to repent. It's a really funny word, but it's, not, it's sort of a strange. It sort of means actually to turn around. And there's that sense of uh, that within these verses. And um, it's actually not very easy. It involves two things. Firstly, we need to turn away from everything that ruins our life, our relationship with God, our attitude to God, to one another, even to creation. The Bible calls that sin. It's a sort of um, heavy laden, loaded word that often is misunderstood today. But we turn away from that stuff is what we're called to do if we're going to seek God. We turn away from that stuff. And often when we hear the world sin, we sort of feel it's a moral sort of finger-pointing thing. Actually, God wants us to turn away from this stuff because it ruins our life. It ruins the lives of those around us. And uh, even uh, our relationship with creation is ruined. Uh, 
And you'll see, secondly, we're not just to turn away from sin, so to speak, we're to turn to God. Let them turn to the Lord. So we, we turn around and we come to God. This is how we seek God. We turn around and we come to God. And uh, what happens when you come to God? Well, verse seven, uh, he'll meet you with total mercy and he'll freely forgive you. Such is the extraordinary nature of God. You know, he, he doesn't sort of hold uh, grudges. He doesn't sort of have his arms crossed because he wants you, you see, to come to his banquet. He wants you to come to the party. And he's dealt with all the stuff, all the sin on the cross. And so it's dealt with and done with. And we could turn to him, have faith in Christ and be forgiven and, and walk in uh, this extraordinary life. So that's what repentance is. And uh, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, God welcomes you and invites you to the banquet. And uh, that's really, really important because I meet lots of people who think, yes, but, might, you'll never guess what I've done. God wouldn't welcome me. I remember when I was on the edge of the church, actually sort of thinking of coming in, I thought I could never join the church. It's just, I've just done some stuff that I'd never be forgiven for. But actually, God forgives us for everything. Why does he do that? Well, he's quite unlike us. His thoughts, verse 8 to 9, are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And um, he, he operates in a very different way to us. Uh, his standards are very different. Uh, we tend to sort of make him in our own image. But actually, God is, is actually very, very different to us in many, many ways. So in light of this, I want to encourage us, therefore, to grasp our spiritual opportunities and to seek the Lord while he might be found. And, um, you know, that could be in terms of speaking to people about our faith. You know, you get someone in your, in your sphere who you think, yes, seems like God's doing something here. I'll spend time with them. This guy, to be honest, I didn't feel I'd, I'd actually done all I could to try and help him, if I'm honest. I felt a bit guilty about it. So I was praying last Wednesday. I was praying in the morning. Lord, I just fell with this guy. He's kind of looks like he's going, and I hadn't seen him for a few months. And I, I was just saying, Lord, it's just it's a shame. I feel sorry for that. And then you never guess what. I, I bumped into him outside my house later that day. You see, so God is working. He's calling this guy. And I'm trying to get together with him again. But, you know, you're surrounded by people who need to come to the banquet. Often we're a bit embarrassed of the church or think, what will they think? Or blah, 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 blah. Actually, we're inviting people to an extraordinary banquet uh, in Christ. So we need to do that. And then just uh, as well as sort of looking at people in our sphere evangelistically, you know, we need to seek the Lord while he's found, when he's drawing near to us. And, uh, you know, you, uh, like me, have times when you sense God doing stuff in your life. Well, you need to prioritize that, drop things where you can, possibly, and press into God. We need to be people who are listening, be people who are seeking, who be people who are spending time with him. Um, because he's the Lord of life, and uh, he's, he's wanting to do all sorts of things in uh, and through us. So I'd encourage you, have you ever had an experience where you feel God nudging you and you just ignore it? Or you feel his voice just pushing you and you think, that happens to me all the time, to be honest. I shouldn't confess that, but it happens to me all the time. It's hard just to prioritize God, isn't it, in the midst of the marketplace with all these busy voices, uh, with all these things, because God will never force you to stop. He'll never force you to come to the banquet. He'll just, uh, just keep speaking and seeking to woo you. So I think 
probably they're the things I wanted to draw out tonight. And uh, in closing, I just want to say that, you know, when we do this, we can expect great things from God. And uh, God promised the exiles in Babylon that uh, his purposes would prevail, that they would come out of captivity. Despite what their life was looking like, he was going to do something uh, extraordinary. So this is verse 10 to 13. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So he's saying, guys, if you have seeds and you add water, a bit of sunshine, it grows. It's it's an agricultural principle. And there's a spiritual principle as well that actually where you have God's word, his living word, who is Jesus, who has been uh, present in eternity, and also his written word, where, where we speak of these things or encounter these things in whatever way we do, Actually, there's always fruit. There's always a harvest. Lives are changed. New seeds are planted. Hungry souls are fed. And um, actually, uh, this is grounds to give us great confidence and optimism in who God is and what he does. Such is the power of God and his work of restoration. Uh, He says to the exiles, you'll you'll be uh, filled with joy and peace and you'll even um, actually... um, have an effect on creation, verse 12 and 13. You'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Of course, uh, this all sounds sweet and isn't that nice and fantastic, but actually it was partially fulfilled uh, for the um, exiles. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, people did return, things were restored, but of course, ultimately, um, it's Jesus who brings restoration. It's Jesus who brings restoration. He comes, he lives, he dies, he's raised again. He equips us, he fills us, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore all things. It's quite extraordinary. He's going to restore uh, all things. Uh, Even creation is going to be fully restored. So you get a glimpse of that in this uh, Isaiah prophecy. You see that, start to see that with the arrival of Jesus, but it's yet to fully happen. So... God isn't a God of bone soup. He's not stingy. He's not mean. He actually wants the best for us. Only he can meet our needs. Listen to his voice. Recognize all the other voices in the marketplace which assault us every day and are very, very loud, much louder in some sense, some senses than the voice of God. You don't have to accept the invitation to come to God's banquet or to join his party, or to feast on the riches of fair. You don't actually have to do that. God loves you, so you're free uh, to choose to do that or not. And that's sort of not just when you come to faith, I would suggest. It's actually as we go on with God. And uh, actually, if we do respond, uh, he will pour out his love and generosity, transformation uh, on us, in us, and through us. It's quite an extraordinary picture, these words. Amen. Amen.